You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, welcome. This is uh, wonderful to be in the studio this week. This is Kimberly Martin, and I am your host of Real People OC. We are here each and every week, and we are devoted to highlighting Orange County's best and brightest. And each week, we try to bring somebody interesting into the studio that you may or may not have met here in community life. But they have come to us in some way or another with an interesting story to share. And so we welcome them. We love to hear their stories. We love to hear what they're doing to uh, give back to their communities. And so it's within that spirit that I welcome you to today's August 15th, 2013 edition of Real People OC. And in the studio today, I have with me two lovely ladies sitting before me. I have author... Um, author, blogger, mother, wife, Sonia Marsh. <laughs> and I have Sue Saldabar, who is um, marketing for uh, Women's Sage. So we're going to hear a little bit about Sonia Marsh's adventures. And she is, um, we're going to focus on her books today, but she is here um, to share the story of the books, but also to share an event that's coming up that we might find interesting here in Orange County. So Sonia um, found her way to Women's Sage as well, and so is going to share a little bit of that story as we get along in the hour. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for coming. Oh, good. I'm glad. I want to make sure um, everybody can hear you. Let's just say hi one more time. <laughs> hi, I'm Sonia Mosh. That's better. Okay. And hi, good. I'm Sue Saldivar. Okay, good. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. So, okay, Sonia, I love the title of your first book, and that was what was so intriguing to me. Now, we um, we found out about you through Barbara Kimmler. She's um, a media and publicist gal here in Orange County. And so a little shout out to Barbara if you're out there listening. Thank you for bringing wonderful people to Real People OC. But she says you have a fascinating story. And so I'm excited if you would just kind of take us back a little bit to really the, um, the impetus behind the first book and about the adventure that led up to that. Yes, I'd love to talk about that. My uh, book is Freeways to Flip Flops, A Family's Year of Gutsy Living on a Tropical Island. And basically what happened was um, in 2004, I had three very, very good reasons to want to take my family, uh, my teenagers, away from Orange County to live in, um, in basically a simple life in a, in a hut in Belize, Central America. The wow. three reasons being that um, I wanted to take my kids away from the Orange County microcosm. I wanted them to experience life in a different culture, away from all the wonderful things that we have here in Orange County and just to live a simple life and get away from materialism. And um, another reason was I have traveled a lot as, as a child, lived in many countries, including Nigeria, West Africa. And so um, I thought my kids would benefit from that. And then we also had the last reason is a crisis situation where we needed to uh, take action, my husband and I, as far as our son being off track in high school mm -hmm. and wanting to get him away uh, from peer pressures. And I wanted to get my kids away from the entitlement attitudes of children here. Right. So this is uh, why we decided to 
sell everything we owned and move to a hut in Belize, Central America. Wow, what a what a beautiful beginning. You know, I it most adventures like this are really forged out of some adversity. And I I can hear you because I, I don't know how old your children were at the time. I'm gonna ask that you tell us, but I have teenage budding teenagers, if you will, mm-hmm. and and you can see how difficult it is to raise them in such a plentiful environment that we have here. Yes, um, at the time when we left, my kids were 16, 13, and 10. Perfect age to pluck yeah. them out of uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. la-la land. And to be honest with you, there aren't very many families that do that with teenagers. Most families seem to move when their kids are very young or else they wait till retirement or they do it, uh, you know, or go alone. So this was kind of a different uh, different story. In maybe a, sense. a little bit. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I think I would tend to maybe agree with you that I, I can remember thinking to myself all through the raising of the children how easy it was at these younger ages to to give them the influences that I wanted them to have, but that the high school years were the ones you want to leave for. <laughs> and it's yeah. funny. So it seems like you have found your way to the same intuition for sure. Right. Now, did that pay off? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I... I say that we have no idea what might have happened had we stayed here and not done this. Um, my son, uh, the, my oldest son, got back on track almost immediately. Just uprooting him from this environment and moving away was a huge positive. Um, all of us changed. We had some learning lessons from that year in Belize that you wouldn't really get on a vacation. I mean. First of all, learning that education is a privilege, not a right. Right. Because a lot of the Belizean kids, um, you know, they don't have that opportunity to have an education. So my kids saw that uh, over there. And and other uh, life lessons that they learned was um, people with much less stuff are often much happier. So true. You know? And they saw that with kids who had, you know, playing with a coconut on the beach instead of a soccer ball and keeping themselves entertained for hours. No TV, no, you know, none of the things, no electronic gadgets. So um, we learned to simplify, slow down, and it reconnected my family. To each other. Yeah. So let's talk about the early days of that decision. And so many people, I think, do think about this as a strategy to just uproot the situation and start over. There must be, there must be some intuition with all moms that think, okay, we're, we're in a situation and we're not going to wade our way through it as well as we'd hoped, so we just need to go. What was that like to take those thoughts into complete action and then actually do it? Well, to be honest with you, it's not a decision that you make in a month. You know, this was building up over a period, I would say, of two or three years. Um, my husband, who is an attorney, was uh, was really uh, looking for something else in life than just sitting in uh, on freeways, gridlock freeways. Um, our son's problems were getting a little bit worse with time. Um, and it just happened. I, I was a little bit upset that my husband didn't have time to spend with the kids. And so we decided, why postpone our dreams? Right. Most people will find excuses to not do the things they really want to do. And, you know, as I say to people, there are, you will always find excuses. When you're young, you don't have money. When you're, you know, when you have a family, you say we can't do it because of the kids. Right. And then things go on. Then you might have health issues or aging parents. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I think life can be a big long trap if right. you uh, don't plan it correctly. <laughs> exactly, Kimberly. Exactly. Um, it's it's funny that to hear you espouse the philosophy because I, I had some of these aha moments. Only my children were younger, and we we had a little adventure such as the one you're you're describing, and it'll be fun to share some of those common experiences together. But when we came back from our adventure, our adventure was, I think, much shorter. You were gone for how long? Well, we were gone for a year, but we, we okay. hoped to be there forever. Yeah, you wanted to stay. Yeah. So, okay, our adventure was the same amount of time, one year. Mm-hmm. And we, when we came back, it was when the real estate market was crazy. And everybody was basically writing love letters to the people selling their homes. If you love us enough, you'll sell us your home. And pick me, pick me. And I said to my husband, oh, that's just not the environment I want to be in. To buy a home, I'm not going to beg to live in somebody's home that's for sale. So um, we did something really unconventional. Both of us had traveled with our parents when we were younger. And we traveled by motorhome with with our parents, first with tents and camping. And then, you know, they graduated up to, you know, the long long motorhomes with the wheels. And... um, Thank God. Um, so we th- we thought, okay, we could, you know, get out our pens and write love letters or we could just get out of here because this is not even realistic. And so we took our money and we bought a huge motorhome and we traveled this country for a year after traveling the country we were in, which was Australia, for a year. Wow. And that was, was really deeply centering just as much because we got to spend quality time with family and um, but the same question we posed was, why not now? Our kids were about to be in school. And, you know, the wisdom of every parent is to be stable for your children during those years. Although after after going through it, I'm not really sure that's as critical as people think. That, that stability needs to be the family, not so much mm-hmm. the, the school or the, the external forces. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but the kids, we wanted, we did it the year before they were to begin school, our oldest. And so I was so thankful for that wisdom. And at the time, because that year, I'll, I, we, we probably won't ever do anything crazy like that again, because you do, you do find yourself very um, inculcated by your life. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of has lots of tentacles and many elements that keep you where you are, even though that may not be where you want to be. So, and I'm sure that your kids benefited from that. I mean, they probably learned a lot that they. I don't know exactly how old they were. Tiny, so they were yeah. tiny. Yeah, yeah. So but, maybe too tiny to remember, but right. yeah. But still, I mean, uh, there's nothing that compares with what you learn from traveling and from experiencing life in another part of the world. So, what was it like for the oldest to rip him away from the social? You know, uh, that's the thing that that really, really surprises me is that out of my three sons, he was the one who seemed to be happy that we actually pulled him away from the environment that Mm -hmm. he was in. Didn't complain, nothing. Um, I'm an only child and so I didn't realize that you know, each child is different. I mean, it sounds really naive. To <laughs> Another say this. funny thing that we have in common. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm. You're an only. I'm child. an only child, and I'm blown away that I could have given birth to three people that were from entirely different yes. planets. <laughs> so I kind of expected all three to adapt the same way, and mm-hmm. and so that was a huge learning experience for me, was to see how each child adapted in a different way, and some had more trouble than the others. So, um, but overall. Um, as I say, I am so glad that we did this. Um, I don't, I don't think I, I, and I would never regret this. Not at all. 
Wonderful. Okay, so you you did anybody protest the move, giving up the life, the television, the uh... Uh, at the beginning, they you know the middle my middle son said, oh, I want to stay with my friends here. They've said mm. I could live with them. Um. The thirteen year old. Um, but you know, I think he was—he's very conscientious, and he was worried about the schools mm-hmm. and in Belize. Yes, and so that was his concern because he has always wanted to get good grades, and even at a, as a thirteen-year-old. But I'm happy to say that, despite all this, and despite the education not being what we had expected, um, he's starting medical school um, oh, now. Oh, wow. So everything, That's beautiful. yeah. So everything turned out well. It did. Okay, so back to the early day when you're leaving, you're getting on a plane. I'm curious, what did you take? Did you take anything? Well, computers, but my husband, I I will be honest, my husband drove down to Belize, which takes about four days in a truck, to bring some computers with him um, about three months before the rest of the family went. But then he came back, and then we all left as a family. But that is an incredibly funny story. You have to share it. (laughs) Because we had sold our house. And we had sold it. It was the boom time, you know, 2004 real estate. Good on you. (laughs) Very, very good. And we sold our house in almost a day. Mm. But um, uh, to our neighbors. And what's strange is that we all went to the airport in one of those huge vans that can hold 12 people, and yet we were only five. Yes. And we had two suitcases each. So 10 suitcases, a rat terrier, my dog, mm. suburban, and, um, and then, uh, you know, the, the family. Get to the airport, and for some reason, our dog, who is very, sh- uh, she's a small dog, she's not allowed on the plane, <sighs> even though we had been told the dimensions of the crate, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is, I end up getting separated from my family. They all go to Belize, and I am stuck going to Petco to get a different bag for my oh. dog. So I was already exhausted from, from uh, packing, packing up. and from the worry and from everything else, and we only got two hours of sleep that night. Um, I go back to my house, and I'm driving on the freeway with my dog, and the rest of my family is on their way to Belize. And I'm so exhausted. You know what I do? I go to bed. I go to bed in my bed that we have sold the house to this couple. Oh, my goodness. And my dog had had a tranquilizer because we thought she was going on the flight. Right. And all of a sudden I wake up in a panic and then I realize I have to go to Petco and get a Sherpa bag, bring it back to the airport with my dog. They tell me the dog can't go in that bag. Again? Again, a second time. Goodness. So it was just a back and forth to the airport, but finally I ended up shipping her cargo, which I didn't want to do mm. because I was told that dogs get lost right. when you uh, transfer planes. Right. And that, um, so anyway, bottom line is we ended up leaving that night on a f- red eye. You and the dog. To Newark, Newark Airport <clears throat> and then to Belize the following day. But oh it was my gosh. unexpected. <clears throat> so it was your idea and you got left behind. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so, well, I'm sure there's some great stories to tell about settling in, but you mentioned early on that you lived in a hut. Was that because that was likely the most, the highest level of accommodations you could achieve there, or what was that like? It was just, you wanted to live more like the people, or? Well, actually, we had picked this location, which was a retirement community in northern Belize, because the schools were supposedly better, and the costs were more affordable. And um, we initially wanted to rent a, um, a 
house and we were told that the house was owned by and I'm telling you what how the Belizeans speak by a liar in town and I said what do you mean a liar and uh, the realtor said you know like your husband a liar oh a lawyer a lawyer <laughs> yeah. but that lady ended up um, changing her mind so we thought we could rent her house and that would have been a little more comfortable than the hut. Right. But when the time came to move, there was nothing available except the hut. So they were experiencing the same real estate climate that Orange yeah, County was? I guess. <laughs> I guess. Very so, funny. Anyway, so, so um, I don't regret that. I mean, we were only there for two months. Um, it, and the main reason we left is because there were no other children. Mm. It was a retirement community. So we decided to move to the island of Ambergris Key, which is a tourist island where they had more expats living. Okay, that's right. Uh, Belize was uh, settled by the British. It was yep. a British colony, right? Exactly. So did that afford some more comfort for you down there from an, from all facets of life? or As far as what, the house or the... Just, um, just that it had been settled and there were you oh, know, maybe certain uh, infrastructures in place that uh, made it more comfortable to live well, there? Well, uh, the reason we picked it is because English is the main language. I see. Yeah. Uh, every other country in Central America is, is Spanish-speaking, I believe. Um, Belize was the only one. And, um, yeah, it, uh, that was the main reason we picked it, and affordability. Right. Okay, so geographically, Belize is located in Central America between it's, Mexico and Guatemala? Yeah, it's okay. south of Mexico, the next country south. And what I tell people, it's the size of Massachusetts. Oh, tiny. It has 380,000 people, mm -hmm. and Massachusetts has 6.5 million. And the reasons we picked it is it has, uh, it's known for its ecotourism. Oh, And wonderful. it has a barrier reef, like a coral reef, uh, second largest after Australia. They say it's the best snorkeling in the it world. It is. Scuba yeah. diving, snorkeling, and mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. And the weather. What was the weather like? Very humid. But, you know, I think a lot of people don't like humidity. And I don't really know. It doesn't bother me. And I think maybe because I lived in Nigeria, West Africa. Mm. Uh, and sometimes I think your skin or your you adapt as a child to a certain type of climate. So it didn't bother me um, as much as it would some other people. But okay. All right. Well, so talk about the transition of the schools and what they what the kids experienced. Well, that was a huge shock. Um, we went down there with the belief that the schools were fairly good, and uh, during the summer you can purchase the books. So we went as we moved there in some at, during the summer before school started. We went to the Ministry of Education to buy the books, and the only book we could find was the ninth grade. English textbook and um, that was the book for my middle son the the conscientious son who didn't want to leave his school and he opened the book and screamed in the back of the truck that there was no way he was going to go to school if this is what this textbook was going to be about it was about how to tell time oh, and no. how to put ing Ooh. at the end of a word and he was uh, freaking out about this whole thing so we had to find a plan b in an instant, and which we didn't know, uh, but fortunately we met some other American families and um, they talked about a um, internet school through the U.S. called Keyno uh, Keystone National High School. So my two oldest ended up taking uh, classes online. An online program. Yeah, which worked out really well. And my youngest son ended up going to a really good school called the Island Academy. 
which is run by Americans and Canadian teachers on the island. Oh, Only 50 students get to go there. Yeah. Okay, so what was it like socially integrating from that standpoint? For you, know, you as a family and for the children? We were a little bit isolated because we lived five miles north of town. So everything we did was by boat. Um, you know, there were no roads going up. You could have a golf cart. But we took um, the island ferry, which is the little island taxi, or our boat to get to town, or a bicycle. But riding a bike is kind of difficult. So we were a little bit isolated, but we went to town every day. And what you end up doing is you form relationships with mainly with the expats at first. Okay. But where we lived, we were very fortunate to have a family, the Belizean family of caretakers, because they were taking care of other people's properties as well. And they were very young and had a four-year-old son, little Juan, who bonded with my boys, and it almost, he became part of my family. Beautiful. He couldn't speak any English, and in three days, he had an American accent. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that's the best way to learn English, because exactly. it would be impossible to learn it from a book. Yeah. So, okay, so you, tell us about the accommodations. When you finally settled, you settled in what you referred to as a hut. What was this? Well, describe after it to the, me. you want the hut or you want the house? Uh, you after, tell me. Uh, well, I, I want to hear the about hut, the hut. The hut was the interesting part. It didn't have any glass in the windows. Okay. Um, it had palapa fronds, so all critters were living with us, mm. scorpions, geckos, giant ants. But, you know, um, that was part of the adventure. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it sounds, doesn't sound like fun, but uh, it's, I mean, talk about seeing new animals, new insects every day, and life was so different. Right. So, um, so that, that uh, was a bit difficult. When it rained, we had to move the furniture into the middle of the hut because the rain comes in sideways. Correct, yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of fun because we all huddled up together in the middle with a candle. We had no electricity. And we would sit and talk, the boys, my husband and I. And uh, I had to bake a lot of uh, cookies and stuff because you couldn't buy the stuff that you can buy here. Right. So it became more like being in the olden days where you spent time cooking, s talking to your kids. There's no activities like you have here in Orange County, you know. Right. How long did you stay in those accommodations? We were there f at the hut for two months, and then we moved to the house. But that was also uh, adventure every day, you know, going to school by boat, doing your grocery shopping by boat. Oh, my. Yeah. That, okay. was, that was interesting. Fishing, trying to catch lobster, different things like that. Do you miss it? I miss the, the simple life. I miss the simple life. It took me six months to get back in the swing of life oh, here. I was driving. So funny you 40, say that. Is that the same with you? Exactly. I, I didn't call a friend for four and a half months. I didn't wow. want to start the engine. Right, right. And I, was, I remember walking on the street, looking at nature, looking at the trees, looking at the flowers. And I remember seeing spiders' webs and just staring at them. And people thought I was crazy, you know, like, what is this woman doing? But I had slowed down so much that I noticed everything around me. Right. I would describe it to friends as a volume control. Mm. In order for me to acclimate going to Australia, I had to reduce the volume of my output significantly in order to, to meet with the speed with which they were living. And it was painfully slow at first, but then you get used to it. Well, when you come back, 
it's it's a bit like jet lag. You're like, ah, oh, huh. I had to go hide out until I could quietly turn the volume up again and function at that higher space. Um, it's like a higher verberation, I guess, would be how I would describe it. But you know, a bit like the hum of a of a fluorescent bulb. You don't really want to live up there in that hum, but you kind of are forced to in order to function effectively in in a society that's moving that quickly. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, I remember hearing the sound of a, a helicopter and a plane, and oh my gosh, I hadn't heard one. I hadn't heard a helicopter in a, or a plane in so long that it, it really scared me. I was thinking, where is this coming from? I thought somebody was watching a television program. I had to go over and see it, but it was outside, so. So I want a couple stories that are life-changing for you on this adventure, if it's even for you or for your husband or the children. Well, as I, you know, okay, here's a good one. Uh, before I left, I told you the reasons we left were the, for the children and, and get away from entitlement attitudes. But what I did leave out is that I was extremely selfish too. I have always loved tropical islands um, since the age of 18 when I went to Eleuthera Island in the Bahamas with my parents. So I was searching for my paradise. And one of the les lessons that I learned, life-changing lessons for me, was that I always believed that paradise was a physical location. Right. I thought paradise is, is a tropical island with turquoise water. Sand and palm trees. Yes. <laughs> and um, not to say that I don't love that. I love that. But the, the, what I learned from this whole year in Belize with seeing my family reconnect and my son's back on track was that paradise was within me and paradise was within my family. And that it's not a physical location, which to me was a light bulb moment because then I, I understand finally why other people are telling me that they have found their paradise. And I would say, how could you have found your paradise? It's, you're living in Orange County where there's so much traffic <laughs> and so many people. That, that's not paradise, but I stupidly, naively didn't realize this myself. So that was a huge experience for me. So, um, and then as I said, my kids uh, being grateful for electricity, for um, uh, running water, because we had rain water, uh, we, and when it didn't rain, we didn't have water. Right in the in the house, and so we your connection to the earth doing its thing, yes, and how important yes. it was that the, that it happened when you need it. Exactly, and and then uh, you know going to um, the grocery store and seeing the choices that we have of mm. cereal in the cereal aisle was overwhelming. I mean, we had two or three choices in Belize at the time. Oatmeal, cornflakes, and maybe one other one. So do the boys reflect, or the children, do they reflect on the experience? Uh, you know... Were they all old enough to really I keep a hold of it? I think that, I, I know what they have, I know that they would never say to me at this point in time, Thank you, Mom and Dad, for taking me to Belize. You know, <laughs> they're, they're they not might, that grateful then. <laughs> they might when they're 40 years old, <laughs> but certainly not at 19, 22, or 23 and 25. Uh, but I do know that it affected um, the, the way, like even their college application essays, I know that they wrote about mentoring uh, little Juan and, and what they got from their year in Belize and, and things like that, so... Yeah. Very nice, very nice. Now, all told, you were there for a year. How long has it been since you were you have come back? 
Well, we came back in 2005. So um, it has been, what, eight years, something like that, since we're back. Um, and to be honest with you, it's, uh, I mean, I'm ready for another adventure, but now my kids are older and they're on their own, so. Yes, yes. Okay, good. All right. Well, if you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. I have in the studio with me uh, Sonia Marsh and Sue Saldabar, and we are talking about really Sonia's gutsy adventure and how that spawned a whole bunch of activities that have come since then. So we're going to take a short break and then we'll come right back and get into um, what came of this adventure that you just shared with us. So we'll see you in just a minute. Mom, Dad, I I need to talk to you. I'm I'm scared. I don't think I can go back to school tomorrow. There's a guy and some of his friends who are after me. They hate my clothes, the way I talk, everything about me. Mom, Dad, did you hear me? I'm scared. Listen to what they have to say. Take a stand. Lend a hand. Stop bullying now. For more information, visit stopbullyingnow.hrsa.gov. What do your children know about alcohol? Makes people do bad things. Act stupid and do silly things. Alcohol makes you fight people. People won't respect you. Personality change. Can't think straight. Stinky breath. Listen to your children. Talk to them in a way that they understand. This message was brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You're listening to Real People of Orange. This is going well. And I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Okay, well, welcome back. I am uh, pleased to be joined by Sonia Marsh, and we're calling Sonia a gutsy woman today, and I think that's how she's built herself. She is an author and blogger, mother and wife, and she has written a book, a memoir, a travel memoir, Free Ways to Flip Flops, A Family's Year of Gutsy Living on a Tropical Island. And so we just got to hear about the adventure, the decision to move to Belize, and then some of the time that they've spent there. But this decision led you, Sonia, to write a book about this. Let's talk about how you went from this experience to wanting to write a book, because this is a very, this is yet another big gutsy move. Um, yes, uh, one of the things that saved me was that I kept a journal uh, during. Well, I started a journal maybe six months before I left uh, for Belize, and then I uh, had a lot of free time in Belize, so I was able to write down uh, what happened to my family and. One of the things I tell other memoir writers is if you're trying to write a memoir, it's excellent to, to keep the dialogue to sound real is to go to your computer immediately um, if you're writing about a, something happening you know, in a year of your life 
and keep track of all that because the dialogue sounds so, I mean, it's obviously the real thing. Um, so I had to take classes when I came back on how to transform my journal into a, a marketable memoir. And I attended so many conferences and it's taken me seven years from turning that to turn that journal into a a book that I I'm proud of oh very nice okay so you were not in your mind then a writer before any of this you had to really develop yourself as a writer so you could bring this experience out and share it in this way yes exactly and although I did want to become a journalist when I was young but I never an international journalist would have been fun traveling around been the world. Perfect for you. Yes, <laughs> but anyway, no. Um, uh, I was never a writer before that, and to be honest, I I love marketing, and I love meeting people online and doing all that kind of stuff, which goes really well together with the uh, publishing your book and. Um, the online blogging, the social media that you need to do today as, as an author. Yes, right. That's a huge, such a huge component. You know, if you're not doing that, then you're not really, uh, you're not really catching that wider audience that you can have. Yeah. So, okay, so you did all the studying, you wrote the book. Let's talk about um, what was the most important part to you about putting this book together. The most important part, you know, I think I like to motivate people to think outside the box and to realize that they need to take risks in life. Um, I've learned so much through, and it seems that I'm doing more and more things that I never thought I would be doing. Uh, and I'm always pushing myself. And I think that, um, that it's important for writers to not just think about the writing process, but to think about how is, how is this going to help other people? Do you have a message that you want to share with your audience as far as uh, your kind, book? Maybe a higher purpose then. Yeah. Okay. Right. Wonderful. Because uh, it says in your bio that you've then led on to become a motivational speaker through all of this. Yeah. Is this all because you're, you're just sharing really a very natural part of yourself that you have been fortunate enough to to explore and you want to share that with other people as well. I want to share that with other people and I also want to hear their stories, um, which is what led me to starting that uh, My Gutsy Story This is your second series. book. Okay. Uh, yes. And since 2011, um, I've been fortunate in that people have been sending me stories. I never thought it would continue, but it's growing. And I just love hearing what other people are doing. and. You know what's even better is that when you read the comments that you that I see on the on my website on my blog, I hear people saying thank you so much for sharing that. You know, if you touch one person through your story and you can help that person, it doesn't matter whether it's travel, whether it's something that happened to you. You know, I have story all kinds of stories. I have stories of somebody who lost a loved one and how they overcame that someone who was abused by a husband or abused as a child and I think those are gutsy stories how they've overcome those obstacles and those adversities so true so if um if you're just tuning in we're talking to Sonia Marsh and um, we also have with us Sue Saldabar who's going to talk in a moment about uh, women's sage organization and we'll we'll discuss that tie-in here shortly 
But back to the book, um, if you're interested in looking into more about what you're talking about, your blog is soniamarsh.com, right? Yes. Okay. So that's, um, that's a place where people can go and learn a little bit more about you. But more importantly, they can go on as well. And is it post their own gutsy story? Or are you? Is there like a welcome to everybody to maybe come and contribute? Yeah, they can go to my website or they can email me directly. But on my website, I have um, a contest link where it explains exactly what I'm looking for, what kind of stories. And then what's great is that everybody who submits a story, we get to vote every month for our favorite My Gutsy Story of the Month. And I have some sponsors that offer prizes for the person who wins for the month. So um, Sharon Leaf won today because I just announced it. So she's going to pick a, a prize from the list of sponsors. So uh, tell me a little bit about her story, her gutsy story. Was she in the book? Is her story in your book or No, I'm starting a second um a second anthology. To to be honest with you, I've read uh five or six stories this morning. So so many to so many to, uh, that yeah. parse out. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um okay, so the second book you well first of all, let's talk a little bit about um the awards that you received with the first book. The memoir um w- really was very well received and probably what's really intriguing about this is that your book was independently published. Is that correct? Very correct. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that because this is wonderful all the awards that you received. So you you'd like me to talk a little bit about the, how I indie published it? Yes. Okay. Um what I decided to do was uh, to start my own publishing company. That way I had more control over things. And I wanted, I really want my book to be successful and because I love what I'm doing. And, and so if you start your own publishing company, it offers you many benefits. One of the benefits is uh, you get to, um, I don't know if I should get into the technical stuff really, but you can publish, I mean, you can print your book with LSI, Lightning Source Ingram. Oh, okay. This means that you can offer bookstores a um, percentage discount. Uh, you are the one who can decide that because you're a publisher. Right. And many bookstores don't want to carry your book unless you offer them a certain discount. I see. So it has opened up doors for me by doing that myself. And another thing uh, is I'm going to, I'm fortunate because I've been pursuing this <laughs> to be um, at my local Costco to sell my book. Oh, wonderful. That's exciting. In Irvine. So I'm going to be doing that. Very Um, nice. And I'm sure that all comes down to being indie published. Many people can do it and just pursuing it and picking up the phone and saying, I'd like to, you know, do this or have my book there or get an endorsement from you if possible and have and my own publishing company yeah so um so even with the independent publishing you still receive the recognition because the seven awards at 2013 uh, london book festival the los angeles book festival um great southwest book festival i mean first place gold medal autobiography memoir these are i mean these are very important accomplishments for the book uh, the Paris Book Festival. I bet that was exciting for you, having a little history in Paris yourself. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so you can, uh, as an indie publisher or an indie author, you can submit your book to various uh, awards. You know, uh, many awards. There's the the Writers Digest Award too. I mean, it's not just there. There are. I have a whole list of awards that people can submit to, and I'm happy to share that with other writers if they want to contact me. 
Um, so they it's can just do a, that at Sonia, Sonia at SoniaMarsh.com with right? an I S O N I A. Okay, Sonia. Yeah, and then your Facebook is Facebook.com. Um, slash gutsy living yes okay so the gutsy living anthology let's talk a little bit about that did did you want to write this or did just the blogging really kind of force this upon you in a way um i can answer this question in a very funny way um first of all as i said i, I do want to share other people's stories but i never realized that this would continue uh, being successful but i was a little bit lazy at one point because you're supposed if you want to be a good blogger supposedly out there you're supposed to blog about twice a week consistently oh yes and I was having trouble finding content twice a week <laughs> so I met with this um, I, I network a lot and Marcy Taylor who is uh, she was with OC blog crush um, suggested to me, why don't you start a contest and let people submit stories? So I'm very grateful to her for that, for, idea. For that idea. I had thought of it myself, but having it reinforced was just what I needed to get started. Right. And so uh, that's how it started. It was in 2011, and my first story was Rhonda Hayes, and she had such an amazing story of overcoming the loss of her husband and her daughter and how she had to date someone. Um, even her daughter forced her to go online dating while she, her daughter was dying of cancer mm. and she had just lost her husband. Mm. And she met a man, Larry, and she's happily married to Larry and her daughter who was 35 got to meet Larry before she passed away herself. So those stories just made me um, want to continue. And, and sharing those. So the book is a compilation of many women's, how many stories? Are 64. 64 yeah. gutsy stories. Okay, very good. So a couple events coming up. Now there's a tie-in. So through some of your marketing efforts and just having that little uh, gutsy spirit that you have, you wanted your book to be reviewed by, is it Orange County, um, not Orange County Weekly, but Orange? Uh, you mean, uh, oh, when I got my book reviewed? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I did submit it to different uh, places. I, I got an OC register, but Orange Coast Magazine. Orange Coast. Yeah, uh, Jane Glenn Haas, yes. who is with Women's Sage, and I, I know Susan's going to talk okay. about that in a few seconds. Um, I submitted it to, to Orange Coast Magazine, and Jane Glenn Haas was kind enough to give me a review in the December issue. And that's how I I've discovered Women's Sage, because she founded it. And then I went to their meetings... And so I've become very interested in that uh, organization. Now, Jane Glenn Moss was an important columnist for Orange County Register for a very long time, an important community member. And, um, y you know, we just lost her. So that's, that's a pretty significant thing for somebody who um, has made such a contribution in their life to lose them unexpectedly is, is really quite tragic. But she probably was a gutsy lady too. Mm -hmm. So Sue, maybe step in and mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about the legacy she's left mm -hmm. behind with Woman Sage. Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I've really enjoyed hearing your story again, Sonia. Um, amazing to think about. You, you, you came up with the thought that 
having a physical journey actually helped you with your personal journey. And that's such, that, that really is such the essence in a lot of ways of Woman Sage. But going back and talking a little bit about Jane Glenn Haas, she actually started uh, Woman Sage 10 years ago. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary. And uh, the organization was actually found uh, at a kitchen table. I mean, she basically sat down with some of her friends and she said, I'd like to start an organization of women who are reaching out and they want to connect with other women. And she had been in, in professional, a professional um, writer and uh, um, journalist for so many years. And she realized she had never really accumulated friends. So it started off really as a friendship kind of an organization. And as time went by, they realized that, well, we're thriving. We're women who are connected. We're so involved in our communities. And what can we do to help women who are not connected? And that's really the legacy that I think that she brings, Kimberly, is that she was just really tied into not only helping her sisters out there who were in situations that weren't, weren't as good as hers, but also for it, encouraging women to just get together and to meet and the camaraderie and that sort of thing. That's beautiful. Tell me about the name Woman Sage, and it is singular. Mm -hmm. So when you go to look for Woman Sage online, it's it's womansage.org, but it's woman singular, so W-O-M-A-N, Sage, S-A-G-E. Tell me about the... Well, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I've been with the organization just a couple mm -hmm. of years, so I, I'm not sure what actually made them come up with the name Woman Sage. But from my standpoint, um, women, you know, when you think of sage, which is knowledge and somebody who is savvy and and uh, and knows what's happening, that's very much what we like to think we as women are. Um, and we come to our knowledge from very different places, many of us. So the name Woman Sage, I think, just gives the feel to what the organization is all about. Okay, good. And um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the services, the specific mm -hmm. services that the organization offers. When I was looking, there was something called the Transition Makeover mm -hmm. Program. Tell mm -hmm. us about the Transition Makeover Program. Well, basically what we do is we reach out to a woman in society who we actually refer to her as the forgotten woman. And we know that there are all sorts of government programs and charities that are there for women who are truly out on the streets, they're homeless, they um, are, are battered and, and terrible things like that. But there's a whole group of women who are hanging by a thread. I mean, these are women who are functioning, but just barely functioning. I mean, there are women that very often they have issues, very important, serious life challenges. Uh, it could be uh, bereavement issues that are very serious ones. It could be other domestic issues. It could be financial uh, issues that have put them in a place where they are barely scraping by. Maybe they've lost their jobs. Uh, other women are 24-7 caregivers right. uh, to uh, aging parents or to ill relatives. And a lot of these women have absolutely no safety net. They have no one out there who's advocating for them, who's there to help them. And that's what Woman Sage does with our philanthropies, such as Transition Makeover. We reach out and extend a lifeline, basically, to those women through programs. So we don't just kind of sit them down and say it's going to all be okay. What we do is we bring them resources. So we provide uh 
financial uh, consulting. We provide personal uh, consultation and counseling. Uh, we actually uh, have what we call a boot camp where we help women who are really, really need to get into the workforce quickly. And we give them the tools to be able to do that sort of thing. So we bring professionals into the community and put our women that are in need in front of these people. The idea being that if we can get these forgotten women who kind of have fallen through the cracks, get them back on their feet again and get them back out feeling good about themselves again, they'll become active, uh, thriving members of the community as well. But I, the other part of Women's Sage, which is equally as important, is our membership. And, and our membership basically consists of women who are making it. They are thriving. Uh, a lot of them are business owners or former business owners. Many are retired. And they want to come together uh, in an atmosphere where they can uh, get to know other women who are similar, uh, similar-minded, you know, community-minded, and also know that there, any money they spend through our fundraisers and through our, our dinner events are going to help uh, women in our philanthropy, such as Transition Makeover. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, very interesting. Now, th- are the two of you somehow are you're involved in an event that's coming up. This mm-hmm. is your um, this is your book launch. So let's talk a little bit about that and hear um, how Women's Sage is is benefiting from this. This is a wonderful, beautiful tie-in. So what happened was after reading all these sixty-four stories from different. Uh, I would say majority women, because women seem to write stories more than men, um, or at least the ones I receive. Uh, I noticed how so many women are, uh, you know, suffering from the loss of a loved one, or they have uh, had to raise their children by themselves after a divorce. And they have the gutsy story that comes out uh, to, to share with, with other women. I thought that Woman's Sage would be the perfect uh, uh, nonprofit for me to have an event where we could help those women at the same time and launch the book because as sort of a tie-in, and I did speak at Woman's Sage in April, and I thought the group was wonderful, uh, Donna Fries. Uh, has mm-hmm. been an amazing woman. She, I'm not sure what her exact title is at Woman's Sage, mm-hmm. but she calls me the gutsy woman all the time, and <laughs> and she's the gutsy woman. I think oh, she's in she the is. she's in the Amazon right now yes, with her grandkids. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so I'm hosting or oh, I'm holding an event, and what I find so exciting is I picked up the phone and I asked Mary Beth Bond who is a gutsy woman who's written Gutsy Women, Gutsy Traveler. She's been on Oprah. She's uh, written for National Geographic. I asked her if she would like to be our keynote speaker at this event, which is a free event on September 26th. Um, It's going to be held at the Regency South Coast Village Movie Theater on Sunflower and from 6 to 9 p.m. And so she's going to be there. The theme is Bring Out the Gutsy in You. And what I wanted to just mention is that we're going to have Mary Beth Bond and panelist with um, Linda Joy Myers, who's the president of the National uh, Association of Memoir Writers. She's coming down from Northern California. She's an amazing woman with an amazing book called I Am Your Daughter. Uh, It's a story about how her mother didn't pay attention to her as a child growing up and Mm. didn't want to but she forgave her mother in the end. And then we also have Jason Matthews, who is um, an indie author, Google Hangout expert, who's written a story in my book. That's very helpful. 
So, um, so I just and and Marla Miller is an amazing, uh, bubbly, uh, gutsy woman from Santa Barbara who's going to be our moderator. So I hope that everybody comes to this event because I really think it's going to motivate people. And what we want to do is give part of proceeds back to Woman Sage for the sale of the books. And we do have some sponsors. Um, Let's share the sponsors. I love to give them as much, you know, of a shout out as we can because they do such a valuable yeah. job for um, really supporting our community events. So, so I can mention a couple because I'm still in the process of finalizing things. Sure. But one is uh, Laguna Playhouse is donating a Wonderful. couple of tickets. And also um, IBPA, which is the um, Independent Book Publishers Association, is giving away a free membership uh, nice. for one year and then I'm trying to get some local restaurants and um, stores and uh, like a spa to give away some gifts for the women so any sponsors out there if you're listening to Real People OC and you want to support a great event that's uh, raising money for Women's Sage that would be wonderful to have your participation so please um, go to Sonia at soniamarsh.com or Sue um, mm-hmm. do you have contact information we um, can share too yes. if they want to contact Women's Sage I, I do and just really quickly we would like to invite all women to come to our salons which we have on the second Tuesday of every month at the beautiful Center Club in uh, Costa Mesa and you get an elegant dinner and a, and a chance to listen to a speaker such as Sonia Marsh and other uh, speakers. We have a couple of events coming up um, this next uh, Tuesday, actually Tuesday, September 10th. Uh, we're partnering with WISE, which is another excellent nonprofit group, by the way, that educates women and girls on investing and personal finance. So we're partnering with WISE to bring Mary Beth Franklin, who is an authority on uh, Social Security and retirement. So that's coming up this next, or September 10th. And then we have our Family Matters Conference coming up on Tuesday, October 8th, also at the Center Club. So we invite everyone to please come to womansage.org, www.womansage.org, and uh, and check us out and find out what we're all about, how you can get involved, become a member. Uh, we do run our programs for spon- via sponsor dollars and donations. So Wonderful. we really encourage people to come and find out more. Good. Okay, so we have, we're drawing down on our time. We have about four minutes left. So you have another project? Well, no, what I wanted to, to mention um, is that I'm starting something new. Um, I don't know how many people have heard of Pub Slush, but Pub Slush is... Um, uh, a company that helps uh, like a bit like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, but it's specifically for authors and for author events. And I was very fortunate to con- connect with them. And I'm starting on Monday a uh, pub slush uh, campaign. And I just wanted to say that since the event is free, it would be, uh, I would like to ask for some support for the event with the film crew, professional photographer, sponsors, and things like that. Um, and in exchange, what we're going to do is to be giving away uh, rewards. So there will be different levels. And um, so we're starting this on Monday, and I'm preparing a video with some people who have sent me their gutsy story about something gutsy they've done in one sentence with one photograph. Oh, my. And this video <laughs> is going to be up on Monday. And if people would like to check it out, it's at gutsy which is G-U-T-S-Y living, gutsyliving.pubslush.com. 
Um, Very interesting. Now, so, this is a campaign that's going to support the event, the book launch event? Yeah, we'd like to be able to help, uh, yes, to support the event. And uh, it runs for 30 days, starting on Monday. Okay. And so will that go out to your, will it go out to sue your members? And how, how is that so going to be disseminated? What, yes. What I w- yes. What I wanted to do, too, is that one of the rewards, um, you know, if people donate a certain amount to support the event, we're going to donate money back to Woman Sage, so uh, it's, nice. it's that's how it works. There are different levels, so I, I can't go into the details. Right okay, now. but if they go on to let's give that address it's one more time. Gutsy Living dot pub slush, which is p u b s l u s h dot com. Wonderful. Well, ladies, I would encourage um, any of our listeners to dig a little deeper into some of Orange County's most interesting people and in this case two ladies that are really committing their time to some wonderful efforts that um, that were, have been a very worthwhile hour for me and I really enjoy the stories that you share one uh, final thought for either of you go ahead uh, just encouraging women to reach out to womansage.org uh, we have a lot of very gutsy women and uh, we look forward to welcoming more into our community. Very nice. And I'll just say I want to bring out the gutsy in everyone. <laughs> and if anybody wants to nominate a gutsy person in Orange County, please email me the reason why this person is gutsy and we'll bring them up on stage at the event on September 26th. Very, very nice. Yes, I hope to see some folks out there on the 26th from 6 to 9, Regency South Coast Village. Sonia Marsh, Sue Sildebart, thank you so much for a delightful hour and sharing your stories with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, good. So up next is um, Counterspin, and then after that is uh, Matt Kaplan with Planetary Radio. So we welcome Matt into the studio. Have a great day.